0: a place called the Giving Garden. Right behind us is a house called the Giving House and it helps families who are facing homelessness. And the Giving Garden is all run by volunteers. All the food that is harvested, all the eggs, is given to people in need. My job is just to feed the chickens and care for them, make sure they're taken care of. And I have just fallen in love with the chickens. The chickens just love who takes care of them and I'll come out during the day and I won't even have a treat for them and they'll just run to me. And it really convicts me that I, I need to run to the father, not just when I need something, but just every day, anytime, all day, cause he's always there. This is Naruto, it's one of our miniature chickens. And recently I came out as I did every day, every morning to let the chickens out. And I noticed that Naruto was in one of the nesting boxes to lay eggs. She had been there for several days and I was starting to get worried about it. I called the director and she said she's just being broody. That's where a chicken is becoming mature and they are learning to lay eggs. Their maternal instinct kicks in. They will lay on eggs whether they're fertilized or not, just hoping to fertilize them and hatch a chicken. And I learned that if chickens are broody too long they can actually die because they're not getting the adequate nourishment that they need and the water they need. She seemed to be getting weaker and a little bit lethargic. She was in one of the tiny nesting boxes in the chicken hospital back here. The director told me to take her out. And I was scared to take her out because I thought she's gonna peck me because she was facing me. So the one thing that I worry about never happened. And I thought that convicted me as well because I thought the things I worry about that never come true. So I reached in and picked her up, and she was very gentle, and I held her. But I was so confused because I looked, and there was no egg. And she had been sitting on an egg for days. I gently picked her up and carried her across the backyard to this pavilion over here and put her in a little pen with food and water. And just as I reached down to put her in the pen, a little egg fell out. Just a tiny egg, a little egg, a plastic egg. And I started weeping because the one thing she was holding on to had no life, no future, no hope, but she held on to it for dear life. So I put her in the pen and let her eat and get water and I went back to my apartment and I was thinking of my own life and the things that I do, maybe out of habit, maybe because I've always done them a certain way, maybe it's because I always only know that way or only want to know a certain way. Maybe I do things because it's comfortable. But I, what I ask myself, what things am I holding on to? What plastic eggs am I holding on to that have no life, no future, no hope, no fruit? And it, God really convicted me. I just wondered, maybe I'm not the only one. I wonder if other people are holding on to things that maybe have no life in their own life.
1: Verse one What well, that an incredible story by Jenny? If you don't know Jenny Lee, I hope one day you'll get to know her. She is a delight. And I'll always remember when Allie came upstairs after they were doing a virtual call for their small groups, and Allie shared, you would not believe the story that Jenny just told our group. And I'm so thankful for that story, because when I think about that story, there's not a better place for us to even begin this Easter message than to acknowledge the truth that we just heard, that we are all born into the same hopeless condition as Jenny's little chicken, Naruto. And no matter how hard we might try, we cannot give life to that which is dead and lifeless. And if we are not rescued, the physical life that we possess will fade. So this morning, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, which, by the way, is one simple sentence in the original language of Greek in which Paul wrote it. And as we look at this one singular sentence, it has within it the truth that will change your life forever. Won't you read it with me? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What a passage. As you think about the incredible life-changing truth of that one singular sentence, this is what I want you to remember. On this Easter Sunday morning, when you think about the resurrection, the resurrection is God's intervention and rescue of people on their way to certain death. This text, these seven verses, they capture the reason for Easter. These verses sing of resurrection. They show us the way to a life lived in the power of God. And thankfully, this life is marked not by suffering and death, but by eternal joy and eternal gladness. But if we're going to understand the fullness of it, we have to begin in the darkness of this passage and understand that there is no life without Jesus. Paul begins by telling us, about his intended audience, it says in chapter 2, verse 1, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. When he uses the word you, he's speaking to the godless Gentiles who live in the city of Ephesus, but he doesn't just stop there because on into verse 3, he includes himself in this passage. He says, we all once lived according to these passions. So this is not just true of a few. This is not just true of those real sinners. This is true of everyone, and it tells us that this is all of our story. At one time in our lives, we all once lived this way. If we're not presently still living this way, and what this tells us then is in a disagreement with not just the acceptable philosophy of Paul's day. I would argue this is the, still the acceptable philosophy of our day. of our day even now, and the philosophy is this, that when you are born into this world, you are born into a life that starts basically good. There's a neutrality in which you're born into. You're born into a existence that's basically good, you have a clean slate before you, everything is neutral, and whatever happens from that point forward will be shaped by your choices, whether they're good choices or bad choices. But that's not what the text says. Now, when I think about what it actually says, it also reminds me of The Princess Bride, the greatest movie of all time. Well, maybe not, but it is in my top 10, or maybe my top 20, but I do like the movie. And remember the main character, Wesley, as he's on his venture to save his damsel in distress the hero of the story, remember what happens when he is tortured and brought within just a hair of his death by that awful device that takes all of this years away from his life? Well, after that happens, Billy Crystal enters into the picture. And whenever Billy Crystal enters in the picture, you know you got to pay attention. He is the character Miracle Max. And when he looks at the hero, Wesley, after his distressful situation, he looks at him And he assesses the situation and says that Wesley's not dead, he's mostly dead. And he gives room for the fact that there's still hope for him. But whether you want to hold to the philosophy of the day that says we are born into this world in health and well-being, or if you're even prone to the philosophy of Miracle Max that says we're born into the world sick, but there's still hope for us to overcome that which we're sick from neither of these views are true according to the bible because the bible says in ephesians 2 verse 1 that we are born dead in sin just as adam and eve lived after they had sinned and were expelled from the garden of eden though we have not experienced physical death if we're living right now our life is still functioning but spiritually speaking there is spiritual death if you do not know christ You are in a state that you are cut off from God and you are far from God. And the cause of this miserable state, according to chapter 2, verse 1, is that our lives are characterized by trespasses and sin. That word trespasses speaks of the individual acts of sin that we commit on any given day. And not only is that what's true of us, but our life is characterized by the singular word sin which as it is used here, gives a comprehensive account of human evil. So apart from God, what the Scripture teaches is that we are born into this world, every human being like zombies. For without Jesus, we are the walking dead. So we are dead in our sin. But that's not what it stops to teach us. It tells us in verse 2 that we are also disobedient to God. And it goes on to define three influences that shape our lives and determine what our life goals and decisions are based on for any and every person who are living their life outside of a relationship with Jesus. First, it says in verse 2 they are following the course of this world, the values of this present era in human history, the attitudes of this day, the acceptable behaviors of our culture that are trying to cancel what the Scripture teaches to be right and true. These values, these attitudes, these behaviors, they are what are governing your life outside of Christ. And they are contrary to the values and the attitudes and the behaviors that God has showcased in Scripture to be acceptable and pleasing to Him. So apart from Jesus, this is what is governing you. And it should not surprise you then that all of this is set in motion by a dark ruler that has set all of this up this way. Because the text goes on to say we are following the prince of the power of the air. And this is a reference to Satan himself. The one described in the Bible as being the ruler of demons. The one it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, who is the God of this world. He is at work in the lives of unbelievers. Those described here as being the sons of disobedience, they are, those who are unbelievers, the offspring of the enemy himself. And this doesn't mean, then, that those who are living outside of Christ are possessed by Satan. But without Christ, it tells us that every person is an unwilling subject of an evil despot who rules the kingdoms of this world in his cruelty and oppression. So we're governed by the philosophies of this world. We're governed by the ruler of this world. The text doesn't then tell us that we're then victims because we are fully responsible for our godless state outside of Christ. The Bible says that we all once lived according, how? To the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. So what that tells us is that we are governed by our fleshly pattern. And as we carry out these designs, I just want these, these plans, these desires, I just want you to hear me. This tells us that we don't sin just because we have to. We sin because we want to. So just as little Naruto was cursed by the unbreakable impulse to give his life to a plastic, lifeless egg, in this state of being far from God, we are dead in our sin, we are disobedient to God, and then the Bible tells us in verse 3 that we are doomed. We are children of wrath and a God of perfect justice, who will one day judge the world for every rebellious act of sin, will bring eternal punishment against everyone who is found guilty. So we need to understand life through the lens of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. We don't need to think of God as being this cosmic Mr. Rogers that just forgets about all these things. It says in Hebrews 10 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And this is what it says in these opening three verses. This isn't an easy message, is it? This is a dark truth. This is a hard thing. But now in verse 4, aren't you thankful for the conjunction? Because these are the greatest words in all the Bible. But God. That against, a, just like a diamond that is displayed against the black felt of these opening three verses. But God, while we were languishing, much like that little chicken Naruto, in this helpless state, the text now tells us that God comes to our rescue. For in Jesus, God gives life. We owe so much. To what Christ has done. Every necessary step to reverse our hopeless condition, it has been accomplished in the finished work of Christ. Remember from verse 1 forward, we were dead, but God. We were in bondage to our godless culture, but God. We were bound to follow a prideful, self-seeking, evil prince, but God. We were sinners. Not only were we, were we sinning, but we loved our sin. But God, God has come to our rescue. And in Christ, from verses 4 and following, we see that God has made a complete shift for those who know him. And he has lavished us with his mercy and with his love. In the next three verses, what you will see is this sentence concludes, Are these wonderful words that tell us about God's intentions, His motivations for those of us who believe? They're great words. The word mercy, the word love, the word grace, the word kindness. I love these words, don't you? This is the way God looks to those of us who now know Him. Not only is God merciful, but the text says He is, this is wonderful, church. On this Easter, it should cause you to jump out of your pew. He is rich in mercy. It's not just barely enough. Like how I used to go and find out just what I absolutely had to do to pass the test. We have abundantly been given everything we need because he is rich in mercy. I love that truth. It's not enough just to know that God is loving. That would be good enough if it was true. But it is so much more to that. Because when we run to him, Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 says that he does not retain his anger forever he delights in pouring on us his steadfast love as he casts our sin to the depths of the sea what a God we serve so rich in mercy so overwhelming loving so full of kindness and grace giving to us what we could never have deserved this just shows you the love that God has for his people So he lavishes us with his mercy and with his love. And then he positions us with his son. Listen to what the text says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love that expression. It's given in the original language when it says, by grace you have been saved. It reads in the past tense, and it is true. By grace, the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, you were saved for all eternity. But it's not just a thing that happened to you in the past. This text has a continual application. You are right now presently being saved, and in the future you will be saved. This is the amazing work of God in you through finished the finished work of Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. And it says we have been raised together with Christ. I love that word. This tells us that God positions us in a very important place with his son. He made us alive with Christ. The text goes on to say we are raised, he raises us with him. Did you see that? And it also tells us we are seated with him. So you know what that means, church? As we're thinking about what happened Many years ago, on that very first Easter morning, when it looked as if all hope was lost, when it looked as if Satan won, when it looked as if death would never be broken and there was no hope but an eternity against uh, uh, spent apart from the Lord in hell, when Jesus came out of the tomb, when the Father raised the Son, when the stone was pulled away, you know what else happened? Jeff Pennington got up too. You, if you know Christ, got up too. It wasn't just Jesus that was raised that day. The Father raised all of us with him. We are raised together with him. We now live with him. We're exalted to that place with Christ. Isn't that glorious? What implications this has for us and how we can live our lives free from the penalty of sin. Oh, God gives us the resurrection power to live each day for his glory. This is incredible truth. We are positioned with the Son. All that kept you dead was defeated and was forever conquered. And not only were you raised with Christ, but you will reign with him forever and ever too. So God has lavished you with his mercy and love. He has positioned you with his son. And then verse 7 says, he then dispenses his grace to us forever and ever. For all the ages to come. Listen to what it says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. I got a question the other day. We're doing some work around our house. And the guy that was giving me an estimate on the work, he asked me the question that, of course, anybody living in Smyrna would probably get from someone working on their house. He looked at me and said, you're going to sell it or are you going to live here for a while? That makes all the difference, doesn't it? When I was thinking about the difference of the two, when you think about the permanence of something versus the temporary nature of something, it changes everything about how you live from that point forward. Church, do you know? that not only do you have the rest of your life to look forward to living for Jesus, but you have all of eternity and all of the ages to come to receive the dispensation of God's grace forever and ever. When it talks about the ages that are coming, this isn't singular, this is plural. Think of the rolling in of the sea and every wave being another age to come. For all of eternity, we will be the ones demonstrating to all of the cosmos that God is so kind. Forever! This is true as you live with him forever and ever. Even after the moon grows dark because it no longer has a sun to reflect its light, we will be ones who showcase the greatness and the kindness of God. Even when the sun grows cold because it has lived out its days and its gas no longer gives it the light for our solar system. Even beyond that, and for eons to follow, the ages to come, we will be the ones declaring the kindness of God and the work that he's done in us. This is a glorious, huge truth. God dispenses his grace to us forever. I love the way that F.F. F. F. Bruce, a great theologian, has put it. For the ages to come, like the rolling end of the waves of the sea, listen to this, the society of pardoned rebels, and if you know Christ, aren't you glad you're a part of that society, are designed by God to be the masterpiece of his goodness forever and ever and ever. What a sinner. What a passage. So when you're thinking about your life and how miserable it is to be so deeply cursed by that which is leading you to death, as was a little chicken named Naruto, the glory of the resurrection is that that doesn't have to be because God has intervened. And just as Jenny took that little chicken from that place, of death, and plucked her up out of that place and put her in a place where she could have life. The work of the Father through the Son, Jesus, has rescued you from that brooding over your own sinful existence, a curse that you could not break, desires that kept you constrained and imprisoned. in Christ, through the finished work of Jesus, when he was raised from the day, picks you up out of that place of misery and brings you to a place of eternal bliss and joy in him. This is Easter. And this is the glory of the gospel. What a wonderful truth in Ephesians chapter 2. And as I try to sum it all up, it's this way. Whatever you think you can do to save yourself, you cannot. But thanks be to God, because he has, and he's done it. Have you ever received him as Savior and Lord? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because this morning, I want to give you the chance to. I want you to understand the story of this sentence as it begins. I hope. That it is in your past, but if it's not and it's your present, just know that in Christ you can leave behind a life that is dead in your trespasses and sin. You no longer have to be governed by the philosophies of that has been accepted in this world, ruled over by the enemy himself, held captive by desires that you cannot seem to break. All that can be in the past because of the finished work in Jesus and what he's done, the glorious truth but God has raised Jesus and raised us up with him to live a life for his glory. If you need that this Easter morning, won't you right where you are, confess your need for Christ, admit that you're a sinner, you cannot save yourself. Know that you are just like that little chicken that Jenny rescued, and you need Christ to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And receive him. Say, oh, dear Jesus, I need you. Won't you forgive me of my sin? I not you come into my life and save me and turn me into the person that you want me to be, the person you created me to become. And thank him for saving you because if you trusted him as Savior and Lord and believe in the power of the resurrection he has. For all of us here today, though, I pray that we can glory in this truth of the resurrection and live not according to the way we used to be, but free to live in the power that Christ has given us as he has seated us with him and as we reign with him. Father, I thank you so much for these truths. Speak to our hearts now. And as we sing this song, may we do so with delight and joy, amazed at the goodness of the resurrection, the power of it, and the joy of living for your glory for all of eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen.